Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn once again to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. And as we are moving through, we have Paul is giving Titus an incredible amount of information in, in a very short time. He has instructed him on how to order things in the church how to make sure there are pastors or elders in each church, uh, to stop the gainsaying, to make sure that things uh, are according to true doctrine. And then we come to chapter 2, and he deals with the aged men, the aged women, the young women, the young men. And then he comes down to verse 9, And he says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now there's a a lot made of this idea of uh, servants and uh, different things in the Bible. And uh, we have to understand that in this days there, there was not uh, an economy set up as we have it today. Uh, you didn't hire workers necessarily unless it was a short term. But if you were in a long term position, chances are you were going to find yourself under this title of servant. And yes, some of these servants were actually owned uh, by their masters and uh, uh, would uh, just be as more, uh, the word we would use is more of a slave. And yet the entire economy was many of these slaves had more important uh, duties than many of our mid-managers do in society today. Um, you had a few wealthy owners, landowners, citizens that controlled everything. If you were going to work for someone else, uh, if we were alive in this day, most of us would find ourselves right there in that servant's categories because we work for other people. And so there's some application, even though the situation isn't all the same. And of course, we'll, we'll take 30 seconds here. And people always want to bring up the question, does God condone slavery? Uh, No, but here's where we find ourselves. Was slavery a part of the Roman Empire? Well, you better believe it was. Uh, In fact, if you go to many third world countries, even to this day, uh, there is still much of this, and, and we're not talking about the Uh, human trafficking and other things. We're just talking about people would have servants and people would have uh, uh, others working for them whose lives they controlled. You go back to medieval Europe. uh, How many remember, understand the term feudalism? Uh, You, the entire, there were no such thing as, there was no such thing as a middle class in medieval Europe. You had the landowners, you had the serfs, and you had all kinds of different uh, uh, responsibilities from managers down to the lowest, but uh, 
That's where this thing called servants comes in. And if you found yourself as a servant, even to the point to where you were owned by another human being, did that cut you off from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. And this was one of the things that was so radical about the New Testament church was in the church you had members of that church who for all practical purposes were treated equal. You would have sometimes the owner who was saved and his servants or his slaves who he owned were saved and they were both members of the same church. And in church, they were treated as equals. That was unheard of. Even when this country was founded, we were, they were still arguing about the divine right of kings. That God had taken a few people and destined them to be in charge of everybody else. And yet, the church of Jesus Christ had solved that problem all the way back in the days of Titus. And... Yet, the Bible was not here to destroy society. The slaves were not told to rebel against their masters and take that freedom that belonged to them. Here's what they were told to do. They were told to be obedient unto their own masters. Now, we have this same thing going on in the family. It says, wives are to love their husbands, they're to be obedient to their own husbands because it's real easy for a wife to be obedient to someone else's husband, to say, he would care for me better than you would and he has much more wisdom than you do and put their attention, say, I would listen to you and I would respect you if you acted like he did. How in the world, ladies, do you ever expect your husband to act like he ought to unless you give him the respect and the support that he needs to be the man that God wants him to be? And by the way, if you find yourself in this position of servitude, don't obey somebody else's boss because it's more fair. Uh, they say the greatest company to work for now is Google or something like that because they have uh, all these amenities in the corporate offices and uh, child care and tuition credits and uh, uh, massage credits and, and special foods and education. I mean, they do everything for you except work for you. And, and uh, people say, well, I, I, could, I could be a good worker if I had all of those things. Well, Chances are you're not going to have all those things. Work well where you are. Unless you got a job as a bartender, then you ought to quit. Find an honest job. Amen. Uh, if you're working in a business that is incorporated in sin, quit. Find a decent job. But as long as you're working, you're paying your bills, you know what? It's not wrong to be the best employee where you work. Amen? A Christian ought to be. And it says to please them well in all things. 
If you want to keep your job, be your employer's go-to employee. When no, everybody else says, I'm not going to do that. You don't pay me enough to make me do that. Hey, be there. Do it and do it right. Have you ever done something? Yeah, I'll do it. Dirty, rotten, rat. Tell me, do all this extra work. That's not answering again. A lot of people do that now, don't they? Don't allow your children to answer you again. You do it, and you do it because you're supposed to do it, because you were told to do it. It says not purloining. Now, that's a word we don't use much in modern English, but it's the idea of, okay, you're going to pay me overtime to do this job. Nobody wants to do this job. It should take an hour and a half, but it's going to take me three and a half hours. Uh, that's the idea of purloining. It's, it's making it last longer. It's uh, how many of you have ever, uh, no, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever done this. Uh, one of the reasons, I'll, I'll approach it a completely different way. Strike that last comment. But one of the reasons we do not hire uh, a lot of contractors to come in and work on the building is because this is how they do things. Is... You can cover up awful big mistakes with just a little joint compound and paint. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can get away with. That's what the idea of purloining is. It's taking more time. It's getting away with things. It's just not doing the job and doing it right. It says, but showing all good fidelity. And that's not just the name of an investment fund, my friend. Uh, it's showing integrity, honesty, character. Now, if you did these things where you worked, you, you would be a valuable employee. Isn't that true? And here's why we're supposed to do this. It says here, Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn themselves with a good paycheck. That they can get that new promotion. Is that what it says? No, it says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You know, people ought to know that you name the name of Jesus Christ wherever you are. Amen? And if you want to do a good job, people say, well, listen, why are you doing a good job? Well, I'm doing a good job because I'm a Christian. And I'm not just working for the boss. I'm working for my Savior. My Christianity is not just something I put on on Sunday. It's something that works Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then double on Sunday. Uh, I want the doctrine of God to be adorned. I want people to respect the word of God because of the way I live my life. That's what this is talking about. And 
yes, this, uh, uh, the context of this is slavery. I mean, these people were actually owned by someone else. They did not have a choice where they were going to work, for whom they were going to work, what their pay was going to be. Many of them had no pay other than just food and raiment. And even those were chosen by the master of the house. They had no choice about anything in life. But let me ask you a question. If you found yourself in this situation, you know what? Even when slavery was here in America, could you set yourself free? No. And by the way, uh, there's an awful lot of propaganda involved in this thing. What went on uh, that people say in the pictures that you read in history books, they were the exceptions, not the rules. We're not endorsing this thing by any means. But let me tell you, uh, to purchase one slave in the 1840s in this country was the equivalent of two or three years' salary. Now, would you take two or three years' salary and just go out and beat it to death just because for the fun of it? Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, but what I'm simply saying here is if you found yourself in a position where you did not have a choice about what you were going to do, how you were going to do it, or any of these things, if you in instituted these guidelines in your life, would your, would your situation be better or would it be worse? I'm promising you that you would have the absolute best situation that you could have under those circumstances if you followed what the Bible said. In fact, many of the servants, even though they were what we would call slaves and were owners, do you know that the slaves ran the education institutes in the Roman Empire? They would buy a professor and he would educate the children at home or in the school or wherever it was. There, was. there was an awful lot of things that went on. And what I'm trying to say here is the situation of the average servant wasn't entirely different than where we find ourselves working for an employer other than the fact that you have freedom to choose where you're going to live, how you're going to spend your money, and, and all of these things. And so uh, we're not saying there's a true equality there, but if you'll put these things, if you'll apply these things in your life, it will be better. And you will bring about the idea and the truth of the fact that God's doctrine makes us live better lives. Amen? Are we on the same page? I hope I haven't confused you there, but the, uh, if you want to argue and fuss about that thing, be my guest. Uh, but this was the situation. This is what society was, and, and it wasn't going to change because of the Christians. But the Christians that followed what Paul was teaching here, Titus, to teach in the churches would be in a far better situation than those who refused to do these simple things. Now we come down to verse 11. 
And uh, we're going to go through the end of the chapter, I hope, here. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, these last few verses here, Paul is telling Titus how to set up order in the church and in those people that, in the lives of those people that name the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason that is given here is the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, just one point that this covers in the text, one of the questions people often ask is they say, Listen, you believe the Bible is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I believe what the Bible says. Well, what about the aborigines in Australia? What what about the, the tribes in the jungles? And the simple truth is, that is a question you and I cannot answer. You know why? Because we can't go back in time and we can't know everything about the history of those people. We've got a pretty good idea. But we don't know. But what did this verse say? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to whom? To all men. So I've got to make a choice. I'm either going to trust the godless uh, evolution built anthropologist who digs up these sites and tells me that it's not possible for them to have had any contact with the outside world for 3,000 years, or I can trust the character of God that he has done everything possible for every human being to receive the gospel at one way or another in their life. And no, it doesn't float down out of the clouds uh, or you receive it Uh, when you click your fillings together and radio waves in your brain at night while you're sleeping. uh, God uses people. But let me ask you a question. Where did marriage come from? Do they have marriage in the aborigine culture? Ah, yeah, they do. Um, is it wrong to kill another human being in the aborigine culture? Uh, yeah. Unless that person has killed one of your tribe, then you're supposed to go back and kill one of their tribe and go back and forth with this thing. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, there are some basic things that you will find in any society in this world of right and wrong. There is no society that we know anything about that just believe that people ought to act like dogs when it comes to this idea of raising children in the family. Husband, wife, children. My question is, where did that come from? 
And you may turn mine. Well, we can't know where it came from because we don't have all of their history. Well, we do have a guy named Adam and a woman named Eve in the garden where God instituted this thing called the family. Uh, we do have that connection. And guess what? You're related to the Aborigines in Australia. Uh, just a few generations removed, but God has made all human beings out of one blood. Now, I've often asked people, said, listen, before you were saved, did you know it was wrong to fill in the blank? Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's always wrong to do those things. Well, here's what the grace of God does. It teaches us the denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Have you ever felt, did you ever feel guilty before you were saved at what you were doing? That was the Holy Spirit of God knocking on your heart's door, saying, your life is not good enough to please God. Now, people turn many different directions to solve that problem. Religion is one of the places people turn. But you get any solution from religion? Sometimes people turn to doing good and trying to help others. But the Bible tells us if you'll turn to God, He'll save you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? And this is what... The, the Bible tells us, it says, teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lust. This is one of the battles that is going on in our political scene today is financial responsibility and moral freedom, they call it. Uh, no, the libertarian view is about as anti-Bible as any you can find. Because what you do morally affects every part of your life and those in society around you. They want to argue for freedom to smoke marijuana, recreational marijuana use. And by the way, uh, the arguments for medicinal marijuana, do we have to stoop to that level? I mean... Even a kindergartner ought to be able to figure that one out. You just want an excuse to smoke pot. That's all there is to it. But any society that has engaged in that kind of behavior wholesale has collapsed under its own weight. Because if you're going to live, you've got to live sober. We don't doctor up our soldiers and send them on to the battlefield. Now do we? Say, you're going into battle here. You know, here, here's a pound of pot and a little Coke and some speed to keep you awake. And I mean, you we don't do that. Because if we did, they wouldn't be able to fight. And the idea of a morally rotten person knowing what to do right with money you say, Pastor, when you put it that way, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, that's why we put it that way. They'll dress it up in nice words and say, 
we, we want to be liberated in our morality so that we can experience life as we really ought to. But let me tell you, you have to debase other human beings to satisfy your per, uh, perverse desires. And that's not what God ever intended for one human being to destroy another one just so they can satisfy themselves when it never does satisfy. Now, does it? How much drugs is enough? Well, Elvis Presley answered that question. When you're dead from an overdose. And Keith, what is it? Ledger, whoever played the Joker, did the same thing. I mean, all of these people. They tell us when you've had enough. How much immorality is enough? If you ever had enough, then why does it still go on? Why do we have all these diseases being passed around? It's because there's never enough sin. Ask the drunkard laying in the street how much alcohol is enough. He'll tell you just a little more. Just enough to get through another day. Look, the Bible says denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Somebody's got to say no. And it ought to be you if the grace of God is working in your heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, there we go. As a Christian, if we're going to adorn the doctrine of God, we've got to say no to these things so that we can live for God. It says we should live soberly if we as God's people don't wake up and start praying about our government, who else is going to do it? Righteously? You know, all society benefits when people live according to the words of this book called the Bible. Let's finish this here and godly in this present world. You see, this idea of living godly, what does God do? Did God benefit himself when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins? No, God benefited us, didn't he? You know, it's time that we as citizens of our country, just as Paul was trying to tell the Cretans in the days of Titus, that you stop living for yourself and start living for the people that live around you. By living a clean and righteous life in this present world, what am I going to do? I'm going to encourage other people to do the same, am I not? And as I encourage other people to live righteously and godly in this present world, let me ask you a question. Would that solve robbery? If everyone lived righteously? That, that would solve that problem now, wouldn't it? Would that solve assault and battery? People beating on each other and shooting each other and... If everybody lived godly, yes, it would. In fact, there was a time in this country when the majority of people lived that way, whether they were saved or not, 
and you didn't have to worry about someone stealing your car. In fact, it didn't even have a key because the designers never even thought that someone would steal a car. It just had a little button on the dash and you push that button and the car started up. Anybody could start anybody's car. You know, when I was a kid in, in Maryland where I grew up, your pickup bed was private property. You could take a $1,000 box of tools and set it in your pickup bed and nobody in their right mind would reach into your truck bed and try to steal your tools. Uh, don't try that today. In fact, I've lost a lot more than $1,000 worth of tools because somebody broke into my car and stole a bunch of stuff years ago. Listen, we need to live for God in this present world. And it does affect the people who live around us. But that's not the reason we do it. We do it because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And the grace of God teaches us that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should not live for ourselves and our gratification. We should live for the God who saved us. Amen? And our attitude is this, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. And we spent some time on this in our morning service, looking for the return of Jesus Christ. The God who created this world is coming back to get his people. You see, Jesus gave himself for us. As Paul wrote in the book of Romans, it's our reasonable service to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto him. Amen? He wanted to redeem us, buy us back from all iniquity. Now, I'm not going to, please don't raise your hands on this, but I. Uh, a lot of people here can give stories of being controlled by sin in their lives. Being in bondage unto sin. God gave himself that he could buy us back from the power of sin. He wants to purify unto himself a peculiar people. He wants to, his people to separate from this world to the point to where the world looks at you and says, you're weird. What's so wrong with you? I remember as a teenager working in a service station with some very ungodly young men and, and one of them was looking he said, I know Pete's going to be a preacher, but what's your excuse? Talking about living in sin. He said, and I, I said, listen, I'm not doing those things. Because God said so. And if that's not good enough for you, it's plenty good enough for me. And we need to be zealous of good works. So that when those people who persecute you and mock you and all of this, when they fail in their sin, and they will, they're going to have somebody to go to to get help. That's going to be the person living for God. Amen? This is what he's talking about. 
You see, he gave the characteristics of each different people group in the church. And he said, this is how you ought to behave. We ought to behave this way before the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that we need to deny these things. We need to say no. We need to make sure that we don't allow these things, ungodliness and worldly lust, to come into our lives and control us as it did before we were saved so that we can look for that blessed hope and live God's way in this world. And he's telling Titus here very succinctly, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You know, this is part of our Christianity that we've somewhat sacrificed to the world in which we live. We've been browbeaten for the last 40 years. If you believe in creation, you're, you're just plain dumb and ignorant and, and stupid and all. No, no real scholar believes in creation. That's a lie. It's a bold-faced lie. Any honest person examining the facts has to come down on the side of creation because nothing else makes any sense. Don't let people look down their nose at you. Don't apologize for being a Christian. Unless you're a half Christian. Then you got a lot to apologize for. But... Don't be afraid of what the Bible teaches. Would there be any honest person that would deny the fact that we need husbands and wives in this country to care a little bit more about each other? Would anybody argue that fact? I mean, wouldn't that have done Princess Di and Charles a little bit uh, of good if they had cared about each other at all? Wouldn't that help the children to grow up in these homes if mom and dad didn't fight all the time? You know, the Bible teaches these things. But you can't hardly find an example anywhere outside people who believe in God and the church who actually do those things in their home today. Jesus is coming back. And I believe it's going to be soon. But... Don't let sin control you because Jesus bought you back from all iniquity. Amen? He, don't let your life be soiled by this world because he wants to purify to himself a peculiar people. It's okay to be weird. I know, here's how you can tell when you graduated. To peculiar. It's when one of those things walking down the street with 14 different colors of hair and looks like they stuck their face in a tackle box face down and just tried to pick up every bit of pin steel that they could on the way back out. And they look at you and say, you're weird. Now you know you've graduated to Peculiar. Why do people do that to themselves? One of the main reasons is because they're rebelling against people who say you ought not do things and they, have, and they 
themselves do much more wicked things in the darkness. It's called hypocrisy. How many times have parents told their kids, don't you do this, I'm going to do it, but don't you do it. That's what they're rebelling against. They're just trying to find something that's real. And let me tell you, they're not going to find it in a dye bottle or a pincushion. But don't, don't look at them and say, you're weird. Because they're just doing what human nature says to do and seeking to try to find something that means something. You work on being weird. Peculiar, strange, different, noticeably different. A person dedicated to serve God. Why? Because he said so. Is that good enough? And don't apologize. Well, I'm just a Christian and I, I know I should. The Bible has a few things to say about that, and we just don't think we are. Hey, I'm the way I am on purpose because Jesus said so, and I'll put my life up against yours any day of the week and twice on Sunday because I have joy, I have peace. I mean, where else in the world... Guys, could you find a group of misfits like us to go put a roof on that building like we did yesterday? Huh? Where else could you get that sense of accomplishment? Uh, I'll tell you why it happened. God gave us the ability to put that metal up on the roof. And nobody got hurt. And you know what? We didn't have anybody fighting over who got to do what. Everybody said, I'll do my job. I'll do my part. And you know what? We got it done. Now, it might not be as pretty as somebody that does it every day, but I'll tell you what, the fact that it's up there and we put it there is a miracle of God. Amen? Let's adorn the doctrine of God in how we live. That's what this passage is talking about. Church ought to make a difference on Monday. Amen? Let's live for Jesus Christ. Let's be real Christians. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives. Lord, that you would allow us just to trust you and your word and be obedient to it in the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll just take a moment before we put that final amen on that prayer and give you an opportunity to add to it in your own heart. Let the Holy Spirit of God direct you. It would take just a few moments. If anybody would like to just slip out and pray at the altar or at your seat, and then we'll get into our prayer time.